iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. I'd like to invite you all to enjoy the trailer for My Soul to Take. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord... my soul to take. My name is Adam Hellerman, but everyone calls me Bug. I live in Riverton, Massachusetts, a small town notable for fishing, tourism, and the Riverton Ripper. The Ripper was killed 16 years ago today, the very night that seven of us here were born. Some say we share more than just a birthday. <gasps> they found J.J. in the river this morning. He's dead. Pray for our souls, Bug. He's coming. Hello? There's been no clue as to who this killer might be. If he was evil enough, somebody you thought was dead come back alive? Souls live on. Do you think the Ripper came back to take his revenge? What if his soul went into one of the seven kids who were born the night he died? Bug? Pray for ourselves, Bug. But which one? Do you know who your father was? Take a look in the mirror, Bug. You killed people, Bug. For the blacktop, and it makes me. Not that I can remember. You want to mess with someone? Mess with me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Wes Craven, Max Thero, and this evening's guest moderator, Stu Von Airsdale of Movie Line. How's everyone? Thank you very, very much for coming out in such inclement weather. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you, gentlemen, for being here. It's awesome. How are you both doing? I don't know. I don't feel too well. <laughs> Should we just call no, it off? Doing, I'm doing great. I'm good. Okay. Well, I guess I would just start the way I guess everyone has to start. Where did this idea come from? My soul to take. Max wrote a high school report. <laughs> yeah. No, it came from just one of those ideas that comes out of nowhere, you know, about a, um, a man who was being treated for multiple personality disorder uh, and knew he had five uh, personalities, but they were all benign and controllable. So he was living at home with his wife, who didn't know he had this condition. And um, one night he discovers the weapon that has been shown on TV to be the weapon of the, a serial killer that's been terrorizing 
the area where he, he and his family live. And he and his other personalities decide they're going to call psychiatrist, and the evil personality says, if you do that, I'll kill your family. So I'll just say that night is the night that man appears to die. There's a fiery ambulance crash by a river, and he disappears, and they assume he's either drowned or whatever. And the same night, now this man had seven personalities, the same night, in a bizarre coincidence, seven children are born in the local town hospital, and this is a very t tiny town. And uh, Max plays one of the characters that is born that night. And the body of the movie takes place 16 years later. And there is a sort of a mythology that's grown up in the town that this man is either survived the crash and is going to come back and get them physically, or he has transmuted his, the souls of himself and his seven personalities into these seven kids. And if that's the case, one of the kids has the killer personality or the killer soul. So that's the uh, premise, and uh, it all takes place in one day on their 16th birthday, and it's kind of the day of reckoning. Now, coincidentally, you had not actually, if, I, if I'm correct, you hadn't written a screenplay, you hadn't actually uh, developed your own film from your own script in 16 years, right, since New Nightmare? Pretty much. I, I had written a, uh, a remake of a Japanese film called Pulse, but the studio pulled the plug on it for their own reasons uh, about a week before we were going to shoot and kind of diverted everything off into Cursed, which I spent the next two and a half <laughs> miserable years on. Um, so I wrote that, and the, you know, that was almost a year's work out the window. And then I also co-wrote with my son um, the second of the remakes of, of Hills of Eyes. And I wrote and directed um, a five-minute segment of uh, Paris Je Thème, which came out about two or three years ago. So I had done some things, but you know, the big one, Pulse, had disappeared. and. Uh, I had been spending almost three years doing remakes of my two first two films, which uh, we got ownership after 30 years, so mm -hmm. we decided to do that. And then at a certain point I said, you know what, you gotta go back and start writing again. And that's who you really are, and so I did. Got it. Now, Max, when did the project come to you, and how did you uh, get involved with it? Um, <clears throat> I think the project came to me around, what, April? March, sometime in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty last minute. Uh, kind of came up out of nowhere. I'd, I was familiar with it, um, with the script and everything. And basically, it all happened kind of last minute. I got a phone call, basically telling me to fly out to New York uh, to come meet Wes and Ia. And I did. And um, gosh, like the next day, I think I was in Connecticut. <laughs> and, uh, you're going to off to work. You're going to New York to meet Wes Craven to be in a Wes Craven movie. Yeah, what's that like? Um, it's intimidating. I mean, I, I honestly didn't know what to expect. You know, I've I've seen a lot of Wes's films, and I mean, just like the name Wes Craven is like it's so it it was so mysterious before. It's kind of like it's like meeting the Wizard of Oz for the first time. You know, like, um. So it was, it was a little intimidating, and I didn't really know what to expect, but I was, I was really excited. Um, I was a huge fan of his films, and so it was, uh, it, was, it was pretty exciting for me. Cool. Now, Wes, you generally work with ensembles, just historically, and I don't know if that's just a byproduct of the genre itself, or if that's something you actually prefer to do. So, I mean, what is your, I guess, approach to that? Do you prefer to work with ensembles, and that's how you kind of generate ideas? In these group um, settings? 
I, I do like, I, I like doing films about families, and I, so that kind of involves a group of people, and I also like doing it about a group of friends. Um, and you have to have a certain amount of people to kill off also. <laughs> so, uh, and I've kind of developed this theory that um, in a horror film, in a sense, you're kind of dealing with an, sort of an uber personality, sort of composite personality that is made up of, a, of the hero or heroine and all of his or her friends. Mm -hmm. And they kind of are all aspects of a sort of an overall personality. And the parts of that personality that don't work when faced with grim reality are killed off. And so it's kind of, in a strange way, a parallel with our own lives, where the parts of ourselves that, you know, at a certain point in your life you say, that really is really stupid and I'm getting rid of it, is the equivalent of a character in a horror film dying. That's how I look at it. So at the end you end up with a person that's really in a way sort of honed by fate and fear and necessity to perform at the heroic level. And that's, with this film, I really kind of consciously did that. So Max's character uh, starts off as a total innocent in this town where there's a, a series of terrible secrets. And within his own family, there's a, a, a stunning secret that he knows nothing about. And everybody has spared him uh, and thus made him kind of, in a way, um, very weakened because he doesn't know the real facts of things. And in the course of the movie, he learns the facts in all sorts of ways, including um, when some of his friends are killed, he mysteriously gets their intelligences or powers or traits in a way that makes him stronger. So he, in the course of 24 hours, goes from a total innocent kid that some people are think is mildly uh, you know, mentally challenged mm -hmm. to kind of a kick-ass hero. So it's kind of a fun journey and a very difficult one. I, I will say, as uh, for an actor, uh, and Max pulled it off terrifically. So I think, you know, just students of cinema will be interested in watching this performance because he, he really knocked it out of the park. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that, Max? Like just approaching this character and, and those dynamics that Wes was just talking about. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> it's tough, you know, when you read something like that, and obviously, you know, as an actor, you always are trying to challenge yourself and and do things that scare you and I mean it was it was definitely you know a little scary at first but uh Wes and I talked about it a lot and we really kind of worked it out and worked through it and you know I'd, I would watch like the other actors um listen to them talk and kind of just see how they uh how they were you know um and then just like looked up a lot of stuff online uh watch videos and all sorts of stuff. What do you mean looked up stuff online? Like what? Just like, I don't know. I can't really like elaborate on all the videos and stuff like. Well, but multiple personalities. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. There is a character at the beginning of the film who the, the killer, it turns out to be the killer, has these seven personalities. So we all had to study kind of that phenomenon of multiple personality um, syndrome. Yeah. And then how it would work within a dramatic framework of you know, a character who was seven people, basically, and then when those seven people get split into seven separate people, when the souls go into these kids born that night, um, each of those kids represents, in a way, a, a strong portion of those characteristics and, and personas that were in that man. You know, horror has changed. The, the genre has changed so much since you started out. I mean, it just, it's gorier, it's more sadistic. I mean, is it, is it harder now to scare audiences? For these films, 
You know, I don't think so. I think in some ways the gore and the sadism isn't scary so much as something just to be endured. I mean, I haven't made one of those films, um, like The Saw and The Hostel and things like that, so um, I, I'm not a big expert on it, although my first one was pretty horrendous, um, so it's not like I'm innocent of all of that. But I, I think those films are more about just the horrible experience of watching people being tortured and sawn up and things like that. This film really has, there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of uh, very human drama to this. Um, but there are scares and there are jumps, but there's um, a great deal to it. There's a kind of a puzzle to it all. You have to figure out kind of what has happened in the past and what Bug's real story is. By the way, his, his name is Adam Hellerman, but everybody calls him Bug. And the reason is the night he was born, the uh, paramedics thought that he was cute as a bug, so he, that name sort of stuck with him. And the reason for it in the script was that I was kind of trying to get this idea, this cosmic view of God looking down on us and we just are like little bugs to him, you know. Or the most grim look of life is that we're so insignificant in the cosmic view that, you know, we're like little bugs. But at the same time, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of touching. So when he's in his full innocence, his, uh, everybody calls him bug. And Max is a younger moviegoer, as someone who's kind of coming up in and is now a part of the genre. I mean, is it? What do you think of horror cinema as it is now, and where it's going? What's your sense of it as a moviegoer? Um, honestly, like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, of the the blood and guts uh, torture horror that it's kind of become. Um, a lot of the stuff, I just, for me, I, I like to watch a film that kind of that has like a real story underlined at all, you know, and. Um, I don't know. I just don't really, don't really enjoy watching those movies that much. Like I think the first saw, I was entertained, and then after that, kind of got over it. Um, so I think I think my soul to take is, it's fresh and it's uh, it kind of has like you know, some of uh, some of the old school kind of slasher style stuff into it, but it really has like a story underneath it all, and I mean there is like blood in the movie if that's what you like and. Kind of a little bit of everything, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting. I think all film in general is kind of changing. So, so I want to open the floor up to questions in just a moment, but I, I wanted to ask also about 3D. This film was converted to 3D. Now, there's there's some skeptics who say you know, kind of frown upon the idea of fake 3D or whatever. I mean, you know, what would you say to the skeptics who may have second thoughts about this film or? about that well I, I could say get a life but I could also say um, I had the same feelings in fact the history of this film was that at, right after we finished it we made it for a film company called uh, uh, Rogue and uh, at that time Rogue was run by a guy named Andorona who I'd worked with on all the screen projects he used to be at Dimension Film so it was kind of like almost two friends making a movie right after we finished shooting Rogue Pictures unexpectedly was bought by a, gr a company called Relativity, and uh, so it became Relativity Rogue, and Relativity was a company that used to finance part of uh, Universal Pictures. So it gets kind of complicated, but the long shot is that it kind of, this film got kind of put on a shelf for a year because Relativity suddenly was taking over all the products and also sorting out its deal with Universal. At a certain point, about a year after we had turned the picture in, uh, Relativity came to me and said we'd like to, and we were waiting just for them to release the picture. Um, would you like to make it in 3D? And I basically said no. <laughs> you know, and I hadn't seen that many 3D movies except for Avatar. 
Uh, and they said, well, all we ask is that you just take a look at the process because it's very different than you probably think it is. So uh, my wife and I, who is here someplace, right there, the producer of the picture, uh, and also our co-producer, Carly Feingold, down there, uh, we all went and started looking at, um, at the way 3D movies were being done uh, more commonly now, which is like after the process of shooting happens and shooting in 2D, it can be, uh, you know, modified into 3D through computers and, and people. Uh, and the first film clip we saw, which was a reel of uh, Clash of the Titans, I had been very aware of the, the reviews of that film and that it was very murky and hard to watch and everything else. And, and we watched it and it was like, holy cow, this looks beautiful, you know. So one of the first things we learned is that because this whole process of 3D and showing 3D in theaters was relatively new, a lot of theaters were not up to their game in showing it. And they were showing it on antique equipment. Their screens were not the proper screens for 3D, so they weren't as reflective as they should be. And even something as dumb as the light bulb for the digital projectors cost around $3,500. So it has a certain lifespan depending on the amount of lumens that it's set on. And it's supposed to be on, say, eight lumens. And a lot of theaters were running at four lumens because it would last longer and they wouldn't have to replace it as often. So it was as dumb as that. So a lot of the problems with Clash of the Titans was that it just wasn't shown properly. And the other thing is that that film had been kind of rushed through the process. And we, I said, okay, we want to be totally in control of the process and we want to be, you know, asked and in on everything. And they agreed. And I said, I don't want to do anything gimmicky. There's not anything in this movie that says, oh, 3D, 3D, 3D. It's in 3D, but the interesting thing that I discovered was that, um, and we discovered actually, that there's ways to modify, like if I were showing a, an image of this room, I could modify how far the back wall was or how things kind of fell closer far from a character at any given point in the frame. And there was all sorts of very subtle things you could do. That, uh, for instance, in uh, in some of the scenes with Bug, who is half crazy and sees visions all the time, you could kind of warp the space of the room without the audience being aware, but in a way that was dramatically um, really quite powerful. So that's what we did. We kind of were sort of um, stealth 3D, you know. And the feeling was, and and. By the way, the research that we went through kind of showed that 3D is coming whether you like it or not. I mean, it's just, it's coming down the pike big time. They're putting, I think there's something like 8,000 theaters they're going to have it by the end of the year. We're showing in um, 70% of the theaters are going to be 3D. Um, and it's just going to be more and more and more. So whether you like it or not, it's going to be a big part. It's like when CDs took over for LPs, you know. So my sense was, if you want to get the film out there, uh, the process seems to lend itself to just purely dramatic use without being silly about it. Um, and then people have a choice. They can see it in 2D also. But it, as somebody said to me in, in the course of going through all this, it's like the, the borderline between talkies and silent films. And there's some people who were able to make that transition and some people were either unwilling or unable to. And I, I don't want to be on that. I don't want to be standing on the dock when the boat sails. So uh, it's an experiment for me. I can tell you that we're all very happy with it. It, it looks really terrific. Um, and I'm not a big fan of having to wear glasses. 
but there are there are dimensions to making a film 3D that allow you to do things that you couldn't otherwise. And you know, James Cameron obviously has taken us there in a big way. And it's like um, you have a choice to see it one way or the other. But in 3D, it's really it has very interesting things about it that it couldn't have in 2D. Do you want to make a 3D film then? I mean, having gone through the just, conversion process. Just did. Well, having gone through the conversion <laughs> process, though, I mean, now no. do you want to actually um, originate one in 3D? No, I, w- I wouldn't particularly like to shoot one. It's a totally different process. Uh, if you shoot in 3D, it's very special cameras. They're rather heavy, rather clunky. Uh, you don't have many options in post-production at all. About You, you kind of have to determine what your parallax and all that stuff is right at the time you shoot it. Whereas if you do the conversion afterwards, you can, it's almost infinitely manipulable. So I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't want to go out and shoot a 3D movie. But I like the... F- the fact that it can be shown in 2D perfectly well, and, but also can be developed in 3D. And I, very frankly, we're going to see how it, how it plays. You know, um, I think it's going to get a much wider distribution than it would have if I had said no. Uh, and I also think that it's very, very interesting and beautiful in 3D, in which I thought it wouldn't be, but it is. So um, I'm, we're giving it a try, and I, I think. Um, by and large, the people that have seen it said it was really cool. Cool. All right, who's got a question? We have a mic that we're going to pass around. Uh, it's over here. So uh, first question right here, that's okay. Uh, this is a question for Wes. Will we ever see a sequel to Shocker? <laughs> um, anything's possible in the future. Um, we might travel to Mars, who knows. Uh, right now, I'm, I feel like I'm very much into directing again and writing and directing again so uh, it's not a top priority uh, so um, that's where I'll leave it perhaps a remake well you know I just kind of feel like I've had it with remakes for a while I, I did you know Two Hills and, and Last House and uh, it took me out of directing frankly in order to become the producer to make all that happen so I'd rather I'd rather be directing or directing and writing who else? There's one over here on the edge. Come on right at you. Sit tight. Hi, Wes. It's a great honor to see you. I'm a huge fan of your work, especially Nightmare on Elm Street. My question to you is, um, do you see yourself... Um, finding books and make it into movies or finding true life stories and making it to a movie? Well, you never know where the story is going to come from next, frankly. Um, this one just came, popped into my mind. Uh, some films like Nightmare on Elm Street, came, that came from a newspaper article about a kid who had nightmares and told his parents he was afraid that if he fell asleep again, he'd be dead. Uh, and the parents said, you must rest, you know, you must sleep, and the kid kept himself awake for a long time, four days, five days, something like that, and finally fell asleep, and that night, his parents heard him screaming, ran into the bedroom, by the time they got to him, he was dead. Now, that was an actual story in the Santa Monica Evening Outlook, and I read it, and I said, my God, that's, there's a film there, you know. Um, Hills of Eyes came out of a his, historic book called Murder and Mayhem in, Lund- in, um, in England, and it was about a a family in the 1600s in Scotland, the Shawnee Bean family. So stories can come from all sorts of places, you know. Um, I kind of have a fertile mind, but you never, I never know where it's coming from next. It's just 
Um, I'm sure it's possible that I'll read a book someday and say, oh, that, that would be terrific. And, you know, Music of the Heart, to go out of the genre, the Meryl Streep film I did was based on a documentary about an actual school teacher. So, you know, it's kind of whatever triggers that thing that's somewhere in your mind that is your creative place, which I don't understand at all, but, it, you know, it just sort of happens. Who else? Don't be shy. Come on, come on. All right, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Uh, hello. Um, I'm a big fan of your work, particularly Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. Um, I want to know, how do you create such memorable characters? I'm very good. You know, it helps to have a great script. Um, in the case of Nightmare, obviously I wrote that myself. Uh, in the case of uh, Scream, Kevin Williamson. And I think it's, you know, thinking of them as not just kind of stock characters, like, you know, the girls that got to run through the woods and fall and take her shirt off or whatever, and the guys who want to get drunk and get laid or whatever, and really think about them as people. That's, that's been my secret, uh, is just to really respect the characters and make them a lot, a lot more like us rather than the cliches up on a lot of screens. And really, you know, have sort of a a matrix to the film, if you will, that means something more than just what's on the surface. Somebody asked Max a question. Fascinating young man. <laughs> over, yes, over here. go ahead. Hi, to, Jen. To your right, over here. Um, Wes, just a quick question about, um, it's been about a decade between Scream 3 and Scream 4, and so I'm just wondering if you could comment a little bit about that big of a gap and what it's like to kind of get back behind the camera working with the Scream franchise again. Um, yeah, I don't want to go off in the Scream direction too much tonight, but I will say that I think all of us that did it uh, felt like the original trilogy was kind of a... It was a thing that was thought out early on by Kevin Williamson, and after it was over, we, none of us wanted to just crank out another thing that would look like a sequel. But there was also a feeling after 10 years that we were kind of almost in a new epoch of horror, and it was time to comment on the last 10 years. So that was kind of, uh, I think, the reason why we all felt interested in it, and that Kevin came up with a really fascinating concept that intrigued us all. Um, and it was a lot of fun to go back and work with Courtney and Nev and David. I mean, my, you know, they're all wonderful people, and Courtney and David are absolutely crazy and you know, unpredictable. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, yes, over here. And then we'll get with you in a second. Okay. Hello, Mr. West Craven. Um, let me welcome you to Apple. And we're great to be able to benefit from, from your greatness. Your body of work has been most entertaining and quite, in, in, like I said, ex exceptionally frightening. I'd like to ask you a question, though, from an old head. I grew up in an era where there was horror movies made in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. I noticed that in the 70s, people like John Landis, they had the special breakthrough effects like they did in uh, the Werewolf of England. And that was like a, a bit, a step, raising the bar in effects. In your film, um, what do you think could contribute to your uniqueness of your staying power of horror movies? But what would you say maybe be the benchmark of your uniqueness in your blend of horror films? Let me thank you. Thank you. Uh, my soul to take. <laughs> uh, I, I think the important thing is, I have two questions I always ask myself if I have an idea. Um, one is, have I seen this before? 
and, and this is something I tell the film students and, and people that are writing film scripts, is ask yourself, is there something else out there like this? Because so many kids will show me a script and say, it's kind of like uh, Friday the 13th meets uh, Saw or something. And I kind of want to tell them, right away you shouldn't be worrying about it, you shouldn't be bothering about it, because it's already been done. So I, I don't like to do that. And then I, I ask myself, um, is this something that you would go out of your way to go see? Um, and with the films that I've done that have been very successful, it's like, yeah, I, when I thought of the idea for Nightmare on Elm Street, I honestly could say I'd never seen a film like that. Uh, and the same with Scream, and the same with My Soul to Take. And um, I could honestly say that I would you know, drive across town to go see it. And that, that to me, that's in the fact of will people talk about it the next day at, at, at work or at school. Uh, and if they do talk about it at work or school, it's probably because they've never seen anything like it. That's the key to kind of staying fresh and uh, you know, being true to your work, which is to come out with original stuff rather than copies. Question right here in the middle, or right in the back, and then we'll get you in the middle. Hang on, sit tight, okay? Thank you. Hi, my name is Sparkle, and I'm doing um, a piece on this uh, interview for my journalism class at the New School. And I'd just like to know: Is there any possible consideration for future animated films in the horror genre by you, Mr. Craven? By me? Uh, yeah. Anything is possible. Uh, I don't know how to animate, so. <laughs> um, I hadn't thought of it, but it certainly, there's no reason why a good animated film couldn't be made. Uh, Tarantino a couple of times has inserted animation into his films, like Kill Bill and so forth, so it's totally possible. Is there any way to, just right in here is a question. Thank you for your patience. I have a question from Max. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> like, when did you first start your acting career? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I first started my acting career when I was 13. Um, it kind of, it all happened kind of really fast for me, which luckily for me, I think that's actually the reason I'm still doing it. Uh, it can, it's tough, you know, in the, especially in the beginning. And uh, I don't know if I would if I would have kept with it if I didn't if I didn't get lucky and, and get a movie right off the bat. But I started when I was 13, and it was Catch That Kid. With, I'm familiar uh, with you. All right, yeah. Kristen Stewart and Corbin Blue. So. Yeah, I'd seen Max in uh, Astronauts, uh, Astronaut Farmer, where he played the son. I thought his performance in that was really striking. He was also in, was it Jumper? Jumper, Jumpers. Jumper. Jumper, uh, playing the young uh, version of the character. Um, and Chloe, uh, Chloe recently. Yeah. Adam with uh, Adam McGoin's film with Liam Neeson and Julian Moore. Yeah. And Max, why don't, Thank you, you. why don't you tell us what you've done since? Because you've done a lot of work since uh, My Soul to Take. Yeah. That's either come out or is about to come out. Yeah, I actually, um, I believe I, f I filmed Chloe. I think right after, or was it when, after almost, we finished? Almost during, yeah, d between the shoots. Um, I did Chloe, and then that came out, and then. Uh, I just finished a film called House at the End of the Street um, with Elizabeth Shue and Jennifer Lawrence. And that, should, that should be something really interesting. Uh, I know Wes just finished saying how he doesn't like to compare movies to other movies, but uh, to give you an idea without giving too much away, that it's a thriller that's um, 
it's kind of like a like a mix between Disturbia and Psycho, um, with this underlining kind of story of like almost American Beauty. So yeah, it's it's I'll interesting. Forget what, forget what I said. <laughs> um, and so that I'm I'm pretty excited about that. And then next, I'm filling uh, filling filming a movie called Yellow, which is uh, Nick Cassavetti's new film, and that has Ben Foster and uh, Sienna Miller, uh, David Morse. Uh, know, there's a bunch bunch of people in that. So. We have time for two more questions. I have one in the back here. Okay. You're on. Oh. Oh, good evening. I have a question for Mr. West. Uh, what characteristics were you looking for when you were casting for the lead role? Because he looks awfully well-matted, humble, and nice, and I can't even envision him in such a role. Well, you know, um, it's a very, a kind of an interesting story. We, we had cast... Uh, two other actors for his role and the role of his best friend um, and both had to drop out at the last second literally the week before we were sh to shoot <clears throat> and Ian and I and Carly were in a total panic and we uh, our casting agent in New York A.B. Kaufman called and said I'll get some kids in the room and there's a couple actors that I think you really should meet and we went down and we met uh, Max and, and John McGarrow who plays his best friend and, um, you know, I, we were just both immediately struck by Max, you know, he's a, speak about you as if you're not here, but, you know, he's a very interesting guy. He, he lives out in Northern California. He hunts wild, you know, boars and uh, all sorts of animals. He, he's, uh, he, wants, he wanted to be a race car driver. He's not somebody that you would think in some ways would be a, a, an actor who could go really deep and, you know, based on my cliches of hunters and race car drivers. What did I know? But this guy has an amazing instinct for, for acting, and people are recognizing his talent. And he's, as you can hear, he's increasingly working with uh, you know, very interesting projects and actors. And I, I think we just sensed it, and we hoped we were right, because we really had time. We, we went to New York over the weekend and virtually cast them, and then we pushed our, our opening start by a week, in which time we frantically rehearsed and talked about the character and everything else. And he just, I mean, it's such a difficult character for somebody to pull off. And Max has this interior um, taste that's really interesting. He just knows how to play something without going over the top. And he has tremendous depth that is just really interesting to watch on the screen. It's, if you see this film, you'll be just amazed by what, where he starts and where he ends up in this film. Uh, we, I think we both, we all think we were very lucky to find Max, and uh, he's, a, he's a fine young actor, and I think he's going to continue on to be a very important American actor. Not that he's not an American actor now. <laughs> we have time for one more question. Where is our mic? Oh. Hi, this question's for Max. Um, you've been in a lot of a variety of films like the family movie like the pacifier action like jumper and now you're in a scary film i was wondering what direction were you interested in moving toward in the future like is there a specific genre that you favor most as an actor um yeah you know i don't think there's one genre that i that i prefer more than the other um I'd I'd like to get into some more some more uh, action stuff some more hands on i kind of like the the physical stuff um i always like dramas 
Uh, I don't know. And then again, I haven't. I have never done like a a real comedy, so maybe maybe that that way I can kind of complete the full spectrum. Um, but yeah, I'd say probably act, action and and drama. So yeah, fantastic. Well, we shall see. Wes Craven, Max Terrio. The film is My Soul to Take. It opens this Friday, October eighth. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming. Really appreciate it. Thank you all yeah, for coming. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. Stay warm, stay dry. I'm Stu Van Aristel from MovieLine.com. Check us out. We'll see you around. Thanks. <laughs>